Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome everyone to episode 57 of the Social Lights podcast. I am here today with Vanessa Paik. Vanessa is Australia's leading expert in online communities and community management. She's led community for Lonely Planet, REA Group, Invato and Australia Post and her private clients include ABC, AASW, Teach for Australia, QUT, University of Sydney, SANE and Woolworths. Vanessa is co-founder and director of Australian Community Managers, ACM, the National Centre of Excellence for Online Community Management Training and Resources. She teaches online community management for postgrads at the University of Sydney and she's the resident community expert for the Future Work Skills Academy. Vanessa is a published academic and a PhD candidate researching AI and online communities. And I'm so excited to be here with you today. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, Kate. I'm absolutely stoked to be here as well. Thank you for that, that lovely introduction. What an amazing bio and how lucky are we to have someone with such extensive community experience here in Australia. And I'm just so looking forward to digging a bit deeper into all of that amazing experience. Awesome. No, it's, uh, it's um, yeah, it's been an interesting and storied journey all over those years that led to that bio you described. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. we, will, we will get to that shortly. But tell me first, Vanessa, what is it that lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, man, I've got to be honest. At this point in 2021, coffee. <laughs> Um, at least some of some of the days uh, but no in, in all seriousness uh, I do love what I do and I know it's a you know it's a, an age-old cliche but I really 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 care about community um, building intentional communities building them well helping people connect generate new value together um, and making better lives together really um, and it's it's kind of as simple as that and that can be done in a whole range of contexts um, as I've sort of explored in my career over the years and the possibility of doing that and being a help in bringing that to life is, is just awesome. It's really, really awesome, particularly at this stage of my career when I do have a little bit more choice about the groups that I work with and the clients that I take on and the research that I'm doing. You know, I'm really, really fortunate. I get to do stuff that I really dig. So that's a great motivation to get out of bed and, you know, go bury my head in an interesting book or talk to amazing community builders or help somebody bring some cool project to life. Yeah, amazing. So tell us, Vanessa, a bit about your journey, particularly up to launching um, ACM, but maybe start with why community or how how did that come about as a, as a passion for you? Yeah, so look, I, I did sort of stumble into it, which, you know, in my conversations with community folks over the years is kind of common common phenomenon I think uh, these days it's changing a bit as community does become a more established profession in a lot of organizations there are more folks who seek it out and train in it which is great but you know back in the day we just sort of found ourselves doing the work so for me I look I, I grew up in Darwin I was you know far away from all this sort of stuff um, pre pre World Wide web as well so you know back in the olden days um, and I was a I was a performing artist so I was a singer dancer actor sort of kid you know I performed a lot you know local Stanford's dancing schools all that sort of stuff and I wanted to be on Broadway that was my dream um, and then I, I auditioned for um, New York University to school of the arts got accepted which is incredible sort of went over to America and while all that was going on so that was you know me fulfilling my dream of being a being an artist and as this was happening you know the early internet was starting to take shape and become available so not because I'm a technologist or a coder or any of those things but I just started to find my way into these communities of interest online through early forums, you know, Usenet, news groups, those sort of things, IRC channels, you know, because I've got a computer for school, things like that. So it was just, you know, like many just sort of falling down that rabbit hole. And though performing and that sort of world was my main thing, my main um, passion and what I thought I was going to do with the rest of my life, I was incredibly into and fascinated by these digital environments, these early cyber places where humans were connecting from all over the world around things that they cared about or things that they did and sort of just entranced by the you know definitely very romantic utopian early idea of what that could all do and what that could all mean and making friends and making relationships with all these people so intellectually and you 
you know, from, from the heart, I was really being pulled into these spaces and what they could accomplish while still doing my, you know, day-to-day -day performing. So um, that, that love continued, that sort of, sort of parallel concurrent interest continued, these online communities, which I never thought of as a job or an area of study or focus. I was just also engaged with them whilst I was doing my training in New York. And then I became involved in a really seminal community for me um, called X-Files Anonymous, which was just an early fan community actually run by Fox TV at the time, which was very forward thinking of them, um, where I met lots of other X-Files fans in the early 90s, um, met my husband in that community, which is pretty great. Um, and that's when I saw, when I met my first community manager. So there was a guy who community managed that. He was a geneticist who'd gone into technology and entertainment. Really interesting guy based in California. And I could see you know, as a user, all the awesome stuff that was happening in this community and the fact that a business was sort of facilitating it, but wasn't very, you know, they weren't hands-on, they weren't invasive. They were letting the community do its thing. And they had this really talented community manager there to design great engagement and experiences and keep things safe. And I thought that's a, that's really interesting what he's doing. I can see what he's doing there. It's facilitation and he's thinking about the experience and um, you know, it was starting to create connections, I think, in my mind between the kinds of ways that people come together to create a piece of art and build a culture together and um, communicate and express and the sort of patterns I was seeing in some of these environments as well. So it, that really sparked my interest. And then long story short, had a, had a bit of a career in the performing arts and then ultimately decided that um, it wasn't for me. Uh, I wanted, was too interested in too many other things. And for me, at least, I, I felt that I had to be very bloody minded as a performer to succeed. So I was having some success, but as you probably know, if you've ever met an artist, you, you kind of have to be all in in that world. Um, there's no room for half measures. And, you know, I, I wanted to do more study. I wanted to do more of this computer stuff. I, I was just interested in it a lot. And so I thought, I don't know that I can keep doing this and only this and give it my all. So then I started to explore opportunities in this space. Um, and then, yeah, found myself when I came back to Australia, took up a role uh, as managing editor at Arts Hub, the creative industries portal for, for many years. And whilst that wasn't a community role strictly, it was in many ways a community role um, because Arts Hub is a paid membership community of artists who have a really strong sense of community whose voice wasn't being represented at the time in, in other media as well. So this digital destination uh, and the discussions and the conversations we would help spark and facilitate there became a really important part of their community and sort of a, a connective tissue for them. So I got to thinking about community strategy and membership, membership strategy through my work at Arts Hub and then took my first kind of real true official community role when I moved over to be community manager at Lonely Planet and then, you know, the rest is history. So before I knew it, I was community managing all the time and, and doing nothing else. And how did ACM come about? Why, what compelled you to create an organisation that brought together community managers? I think it's that thing that a lot of us go through when we, particularly in terms of a practice or a craft, when we're doing a new thing, it's a very human impulse at some point to go, oh, look, is, you know, having a, having a moment, this is hard. Or I want, is, is there anyone else I can talk to about this? Or just bounce this idea of someone that desire to connect and exchange ideas and, and learn from others doing doing the work. Um, so I went through that like anyone else, sort of in my early, you know, early Arts Hub and early Lonely Planet days and was looking around and couldn't really find much out there. There were definitely pe people building community online, but there was nothing kind of organised happening that I, I could discover. And the things that I could find were overseas quite naturally. So, you know, there was some stuff in America happening. There was some stuff in Europe. There was a really great conference in Europe at the time um, that was very expensive and hard to get to and couldn't really justify at that point. Um, so I thought, well, what, let's, let's put some feelers out and see if we can build something here. So sort of put the word out through the old, you know, the old fashioned analog networks more than anything else, um, talking to friends of friends and asking around and managed to pull together um, a, basically a meetup, a community roundtable of different individuals building and managing communities. And we had that at Lonely Planet back in 2008, 2009. And there we had um, Essential Baby, Fairfax, we had Foxtel, we had ABC, we had uh, Redbubble, the creative marketplace. We had a Disney, I think, Cabo Hotel, really interesting mix of really diverse industries and these people just like me who were charged with managing these communities making them successful in different kind of ways and in different contexts and that was really the seed then those roundtables kept happening grew into larger and larger events and became you know a more formalized network that we now know as ACM and the gatherings themselves kind of grew into Swarm Conference which is our big annual get-together. 
and Swarm's coming up in a couple of weeks for anyone that's that's interested. So tell us a bit more about Swarm because I really love how you curate the speakers and how you bring people together about that. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, totally. Um, thank you for that. It, it's, you know, anyone that's ever run an event knows how, how hard it is, um, you know, and, and in some ways harder online. Certain things are easier when you do it online, certain things are harder. Um, and we do try to make it very, very intentional. Um, look, that, and I'm, it's probably a little bit like when you're the founder of a company, you know, the, the company you create uh, in many in many cases, I think becomes a little bit of a an echo or a reflection of the founder's personality and values. Um, and I think it's the same when you're doing an event. So consequently, there's a lot of me in Swarm, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> it depends depends where you sit, I guess. Um, so my passions, as you can tell from from this conversation, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. You know, I'm doing my my PhD. I like the academic stuff. I like a good intellectual read about all of this, and I like doing the work. Um, and I, you know, as a as a email on the internet you know I've seen a lot of really not so great stuff over the years and I know a lot of people working in high risk and marginalized communities online as well so all of those sort of factors have contributed to the way that I've set about shaping Swarm over the years so I never wanted it to be you know straightforward kind of digital marketing event although I certainly wanted all the content to be really useful for that anybody doing that as well. I really wanted to make it community is the through line here. So anybody who is practicing the, the art and the science of community, gathering people together, um, you know, driving them and mobilizing them toward objectives or goals, measuring how well that's happening. Is it healthy? Is it successful? What are the outcomes? Um, thinking about community strategically in different ways. How do you manage risk and safety? All of those different bits and pieces that represent, you know, the craft of community management in any context. So if you're working in a mental health forum, if you're working for a big customer community, a brand community, a startup community, you can take valuable lessons and apply them to your work. So I wanted to make it really very multidisciplinary um, and also a little bit nerdy. <laughs> so right from the start, um, you know, we've tried to build in some relationships with really great researchers and policy makers who are often kind of making decisions and, and um, conducting investigations that impact our online communities impact our lives on social media in different ways and community builders are often you know not in those rooms having those conversations so I was quite keen to to try to connect these groups I would talk to academics who would say this amazing paper and the stuff I'm working on if only I could talk to you know somebody who was managing a community that would really bring this work to life or I just don't know where to find those sort of people do those people exist are they, is that a thing? And then I talked to community builders who are who would say, you know, I'm seeing these patterns and trends, and is that a thing? Like, is that a phenomenon? Can I learn more about that? Is that a way, a different way to think about this or conceptualize this? And so it seemed obvious to me that these groups would benefit from talking to one another. So we've always had kind of an academic layer to swarm as well for those that want to go there with some research and sort of connecting. For example, you know, the the, the professors and the, and the researchers doing all the the really groundbreaking work on things like hate speech online. We'll have them involved in swarm conversations and discussions with community managers or social media managers about how, you know, how hate speech actually shows up online and how we can work together to build better strategies to combat it, things like that. Um, we've also been really intentional in terms of trying to build, of course, you know, a very diverse and inclusive lineup. Um, community management in Australia as a profession is really female dominated. So searching for great women has not really been an onerous task. Um, we do an annual survey every year, some research for her ACM, a career snapshot. And that particular bit of research has shown that the, you know, it's female dominated by a landslide. It's about 75%. And every year that ticks up, um, partly because of the industries that community falls in here in Australia. So Finding great women, not so challenging, um, but, you know, increasingly we want to make sure that um, all voices are represented. So, you know, last year, for example, we had some really phenomenal Indigenous scholars and practitioners sharing First Nations uh, community building techniques and knowledge in, in ways that um, is uh, permissible and suitable for, for non-First Nations and Indigenous communities to, to use and apply because there's so much incredible ancient knowledge there that you know we don't need to reinvent the wheel there are some things that we should be paying attention to and not trying to rewrite and definitely not trying to own or colonize so you know just creating those sort of subject matter diverse and sort of topically diverse industry diverse conversations has always been a really big objective of swarm the other thing we try to do is keep it you know keep it pretty grounded so whilst there is a bit of academia and a bit of thinking involved it is all rooted in 
clear kind of takeaways that if you come to, come along to Swarm, you can, you know, you can go, right, I've got this new playbook, I've got this list of things, I've got a new way to think about this problem. I sat in a room with some incredible people and sort of met this challenge that I had or they helped me solve this problem that I have so that you, you know, you get really tangible value um, right away. And obviously with any gathering or conference, you get to meet great people and build great relationships. Oh, there's so many things in what you've just said that I want to unpack further. <laughs> and I love in your story that, you know, I think every community manager that I interview on this podcast, and I think every great community that I've ever come across has been created because there was a gap or a need that the founder or the community manager themselves found. <laughs> um, and so I love that, you know, you wanted to create a community to support you in that professional role. Um, and uh, there are literally, I can see like five or six forks in the road here in terms of our conversation. <laughs> but just on that around professionalism with community managers, I, I really feel like the time of community has finally come. I know that it's been here for a long time and that there are some of us who've been working in this space for a long time, but it feels like it's more, um, more recognised now. Um, before we get to that, though, can you talk to me about your view on the difference between, say, social media marketing and community, and even a little bit around the definition of community? Because I think it's a term that's thrown around a lot. Um, so I've asked you probably five questions in one there. But all right. We can connect them all up. It's all good. Oh, we're doing that. Um, yeah, so no, it is, a, it is an important point. And I do think that um, so sort of tackling that, you know, that, that distinction between social media, community, marketing, all those different layers, you know, it's, it's complicated and it's layered because they, there's a lot of natural overlap. There is, right? We'd be silly if we try to deny that. Um, also, you know, in a country like Australia, which is a relatively small place with relatively few people compared to the rest of the world, um, and we are, you know, as all of your listeners know, hugely uh, kind of voracious users of social media, or I think we're the biggest Facebook users in the world still from the latest stats, you know, Facebook and these platforms and social media is ubiquitous in our lives. They are a social infrastructure for us in a whole bunch of ways. So, it's inevitable that community building is going to happen on them. And for a lot of particularly people that aren't necessarily doing it professionally, when they think about community or an online community, it's they're going to think about how they gather and show up and engage on those platforms and those spaces. And yeah, for those of us who do it professionally, there are a lot of, you know, there's hundreds of community platforms for different sort of purposes that we might, might want to build. And there's clear advantages and disadvantages to building on all of them social media platforms um, but you know ordinary people are just thinking thinking about community and relationships and that's where a lot of it plays out so I think that's part of what makes it complicated um, I guess to answer that bigger question about the distinction um, they're both incredibly important and they're both just different disciplines I think why it's important to distinguish them before we try to define them is that you know what they're trying to accomplish is quite different and how you measure success is quite different so I've seen both amazing social media managers and great community managers kind of get get tripped up and tied up in knots because either them or their you know their managers or their their companies are sort of asking them to do things and be measured in certain ways that actually aren't really aligned with what they're trying what they're doing the actual practice of what they're doing so you know if I'm hired to build a community um, and I've got a boss who's saying your KPI is reach on this platform well certainly reach can be sometimes an outcome of certain types of communities um, but it's actually not what communities as a social structure are really good at they're actually sort of the opposite of that they're really good at going deep relevance you know um, groups and networks are, are, are reach right networks in particular are all about reach that's why social platforms are so great at that stuff so if reach is the objective you know if you you're a community strategist and you get to talk to that person before they do any of these things what do you want to accomplish? Why do you want to accomplish all those key strategic questions? And if they say, we just, you know, we want to get the word out, we want awareness, we want reach, we want all of those things, then building a community is probably not the right first. Maybe it's a step down the track, um, but maybe you want to do some incredible marketing, um, you know, some, some really far-reaching outreach sort of stuff. And sure, some of that's going to involve building relationships, but then potentially you can look at um, a community play or a community strategy later on that is doing the things for you or your organisation that community is good at, which is, you know, deep loyalty, ideation, collaboration, um, you know, kind of knowledge generation between people, mobilising people to do to do stuff together. There's 
so many community is good at from a sort of sociological point of view um, and in business and organizations there's a whole bunch of stuff that's really good at and most of them are quite different to the things that marketing is great at so you can go on social media and create a phenomenal marketing presence and just create magnificent content, hit all the, you know, hit all, hit all the, the, the winning boxes. Um, and that's awesome. And people will be inspired and they might feel loyalty to the product and you might get all of those outcomes that you want. But unless you're actually kind of trying to create peer-to-peer relationships, which most people, that's, a, that's not what they're trying to do when they're doing a great marketing campaign. Um, you're probably not building a community. You're building a really engaged, connected, inspired audience that's ready to follow you into the, you know, follow you into the fold and buy your latest product and do your latest thing. And that's great. It's just, it's, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> so it's sort of right down to the sociological level, the structures are different. You measure success differently. And social media managers are often in this weird position, particularly in Australia, where they're asked to do a bit of both. So it feels funky. They're like, okay, so you want me to sort of, you know, I'm here to represent the brand to sell stuff. Sometimes they're asked to take on sort of a customer service role as well. Um, then they're asked to moderate, which is often an aspect of community management in some ways, but they're not, you know, they're not usually charged with, you know, let's go, go and build peer-to-peer relationships. You know, we want to create um, a new community or a, a work with an existing community to achieve these particular goals together in this way. So, and so obviously if you're measuring that and you're measuring a community, you're looking at are those relationships happening? How many? What is the social density of those relationships? Is it a healthy community? Is the value that you're looking for actually being generated in a shared or equitable, equitable way versus things like, you know, likes, shares, reach impressions, all those sort of things, which are in a success indicator for marketing. <laughs> so I don't know if that, that answers your question, but there's there are clear distinctions and both practices can complement one another. If you're an incredible marketer who creates great content, you know, that's a really useful skill if you're, you're a community builder as well. And likewise, if you're going to go and work as a social media marketer, knowing how to handle a crowd, how to moderate, knowing how to really kick off and spark great conversations is a great way to generate engagement. But, you know, I think community builders uh, sometimes get a bit concerned that the language of community is sort of co-opted for, for sometimes you know, less than less, less than ethical purposes, maybe some extractive purposes. And we sort of show up and want to take from our audiences without necessarily giving back. So to me, that's a, that's a big distinction is community is really reciprocal. It's yes, it's about, you know, how can we work with these people, how we can generate new stuff together, but it's very much about mutual exchange, mutual value exchange. You know, what are the needs and wants um, and sort of desires of both groups uh, and how can we make something awesome happen? Why are we the best organisation to facilitate this particular community about this particular thing, you know, and so, and how can we get at the heart of that rather than how can we show up and make a bunch of people do a specific thing? And I think... You know, one of the things that I love about the journey to community is often community ends up being a byproduct of marketing almost. Like I've seen so many amazing marketers and I've worked with clients myself where they've absolutely approached all of this technology from a marketing perspective and then kind of accidentally grow a community and there becomes a natural point where it's like, okay, this is something we really need to invest in because our people are telling us, our customers, our community are telling us this is something that they want from us. Yeah, and, and then, it's organic, it's come from them. There's a need that they're expressing and there's a clear opportunity there that then you can rise up and meet rather than companies who sometimes approach it the opposite way and just say, we want to make a community because we have a need for what we think community can give us. Um, and not, you know, I'm not saying that's wrong. Every, a lot of people do that, but it is ultimately kind of a bit of an extractive mindset and it usually doesn't work. You know, they're going to be disappointed because it's not organic. And I know you and I have had this conversation before, but in in our business, you know, I kind of sit one foot in each, in each camp and I see myself as a bit of a disruptor who's blurring the lines to help businesses where it's really obvious that community is a benefit but they haven't even thought about it yet and so I start blurring the lines around the edges of marketing 
<laughs> because it's a natural progression for them, for them yeah. to go. It's so. a perfect gateway drug for community. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I might have to use that one. <laughs> and I think, you know, you're right. When you're talking about the language, right, the term, it's hard to define. You know, there are, you know, look, there are dictionary definitions of community. You know, traditionally we think of community as very, you know, as a geographically tethered kind of idea. You know, our physical communities, obviously, you've got communities of purpose, communities of practice, you know, communities of interest. There's all sorts of communities. There is something about the social structure that is specific and defined. It's, you know, those peer-to-peer relationships, that mutual concern, and there's some, some great definitions out there to help give that shape as distinguished from, you know, those other types of groups like an audience or a network. So about knowing what you might want to build and, and why and what those different things are good at. And as you said, kind of, you know, if you can um, uh, sort of get past the, I think sometimes the, the word community... Uh, is suffering from a bit of um, baggage, I think. <laughs> it feels, to some, it feels too vague and too nebulous. You're like, well, what is that? What does that actually mean? What's the value in it for me? And then for others, it feels too wishy-washy. You know, and I, you know, you and I know that's a shame and that's not accurate. But for some, it might, particularly if you're you're thinking from a from a purely business point of view, you're like, well, community, that sounds great. Like, yeah, I want social capital, I want goodwill, I want all these things, but I'm trying to stay afloat in a pandemic and I've got stuff to do. And how is that, is that really going to help me right now? Um, so, you know, kind of getting very concrete, you know, call it something else if you want, if the language is the obstacle, um, but just, you know, find how creating and facilitating these relationships in a strategic way, in connection with what you do, you know, can generate so much value for a business and so much, so much kind of organisational value. There is, you know, there is clear and real ROI there. It's codifiable. There's research that proves it. You know, we're not, we're not making this up, but I think a lot of people do sort of stop at the word and go, hmm, that feels a bit kind of warm and fuzzy and I don't I don't really know how to do that or maybe that's not where I should be prioritizing my time right now then it's a shame well and the irony is that those that do community really well um marketing and sales is a byproduct of that yeah so much easier isn't it it well and you and I both know clients and businesses out there who you know who've gone down that community journey and built it out authentically and and smartly and mindfully who are now you know spending a fraction of what they used to spend on things like marketing and sales because their community's kind of carrying that with them now and for them they've got natural ambassadors you know they've got really strong communities of of, of users for their products or their services and you know they don't don't, you know their costs are going down and the value is going up so one of the things I'm always interested in when I'm interviewing a community manager within a particular business, and you've obviously got a cross-section across many, is this concept of where community sits in the business and what it means to the business. And I look at some of the brands that you've worked with and I kind of go, hmm, I don't actually think of them much as a community. So can you talk a bit to, a bit about that? I won't name any of the particular brands, but could you talk a little bit about how different businesses and how you help businesses to um, identify where it sits and what it means to the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, you, you're right. <laughs> you're right in your assessment there. Um, I, and I think so... <clears throat> I'll use them. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Lonely Planet as an example. Um, so, when I came to work at Lonely Planet, I was hired as community manager for their Thorn Tree forums initially. So, it was very specific. It was really manage this existing community, long established before I got there. I think it was 10 years old before I even arrived. So, hugely established community, only, only was retired very recently. It lasted, you know, kind of 20 years. Amazing space. Um, and that was it, right? So, and my role fell under the edit- digital editorial department. So it wasn't a marketing team. It was, and I think Lonely Planet as a publisher was a little unique in that way, Um, although there are clearly marketing aspects to, to all of that stuff. My was an editorial role and mine was, so mine was kind of a community engagement uh, editorial role, make this community safe, successful, effective for its participants and the organization. And increasingly, as I worked there, think about our strategic relationship with this community. So this community is sitting there as this really powerful asset we're letting that happen you know there are benefits for the business in terms of traffic and loyalty and ideas generated and a whole bunch of other stuff but what else is is that it are we just going to sort of do that for you know a couple of decades and that's great that that's perfectly fine value so a big part of my job became 
bridging some of those strategic gaps within the organisation, thinking about ways we could do more with our community, um, you know, that they wanted to participate in, of course. How can we co-create? Can we make products together? You know, we've got, for example, we had an amazing uh, sub-forum in the community called um, called Get Stuffed um, that was this food and recipe branch, you know, of, of, the, of the tree where amazing folks from all over the world would get together and share their different cultural recipes and hang out and talk about food and make recommendations. For absolute goldmine of, of content and advice and insights um, you know and Lonely Planet was you know wants to do a recipe book well then why don't we go and co collaborate with with those folk and actually do a co-created community product you know because them uh, those that want to be involved an awesome sense of being able to take ownership of that and work on something cool it's reward and recognition for all of their you know the time and the labor and, and that that energy that they've spent building up that that community repository over the years you know and Lonely Planet gets to bring something new into the world that nobody else has nobody else has relationships with these people so that's you know kind of a mutual payoff so that was a big part of it and it was at that in that organization done with that editorial lens more than anything else um uh other organizations it is it often does fall under that marketing sometimes customer servicey kind of customer support umbrella but all of this is changing so historically it's definitely been out on a limb somewhere I would say it's either been in a marketing limb or a customer support limb or in that case an editorial limb um, <clears throat> you know sometimes a not really a sales limb per se but you know perhaps a, a growth and business development limb particularly for a startup or something uh, but I'm seeing in the market increasingly, particularly with our international colleagues, but here in Australia too, people are starting to think about community much more holistically, which is good. They should be because it is actually a very uh, ensconcing kind of concept, a very enveloping concept that does touch every department. You know, uh, one of my fellow community managers over in Germany, Tanya Laub, um, who runs sort of the German equivalent of ACM, you know, she's once described, um, you know, the community managers as the human API, right, for an organisation, you know, kind of fingers in every, plug and play with everyone and everything, right, and others describe as, you know, the central nervous system, I've once described as the air traffic controller, you know, it's, you are all of those things. So by virtue of the fact you are this interface with communities of partners, users, customers, staff, whoever that is, you really are plugged into all the ideas and knowledge and relationships floating around an organization and its ecosystem. So you want to really community as a department is, is in a unique position to help cohese and organize and apply that lens in ways that are useful for the business or useful for the organization. So we are seeing more of these sort of, um, you know, as my uh, another colleague of ours overseas, Adrian Speyer, um, head of community high logic, he talks about this, you know, the rise of these centers of excellence um, that are really centering, you know, sort of what used to be kind of a CX customer experience lens, kind of taking it next level and actually making it community. Uh, you know, so for some that means concrete community programs you know we've got a forum over here we've got a, a partner program over here we work with this group over here in these ways it's always multiple things but it also means how do we apply the insights being generated from our community um, to every single aspect of our organization to enrich everything that we're doing uh, i think that that's the kind of potential that's there it's a lot to take on for an organization in the early stages you've got to go through some steps first of course but that potential awaits and i do think we're having a a shift from community as sort of a bit of a bolt-on department that is often sometimes um, kind of absorbed up under some of those other titles um, and can sort of get stuck there strategically. Like you, you can do great work and generate good outcomes, but sort of the potential is not really fulfilled because it's really ultimately sort of tied up in a corner um, versus thinking about this a little bit more holistically and thinking about how do our relationships with these people, how do the insights that are being generated, the new products, the new ideas, the innovation capability, how can we really just sort of unleash all of that with a more encompassing lens? Yeah, wow. Again, I have a million thoughts going on in my head that we could discuss. Um, because Lonely Planet, to me, that's a no-brainer. You know, it's bringing people together about something they're passionate about, travel, Absolutely. whatever those. Travel lovers the world over. Yeah, you know, and and travel guides. God, I'm fondly remembering what my bookshelf used to look like in my 20s. You know, I had shelves of Lonely Planet guides. Yeah, yeah, still got a mind. I travel now, but I don't oh, have any. Yeah, back when we could move in the before times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But then when you look at other brands, um, again, not mentioning any names, but things like 
um, you know, banks and supermarkets and those kinds of businesses. How do you see that community can, and I get that it's different because, and this is what I love about the work I do. I'm sure it's the same for you. Every business is unique and the, yeah. Um, it's almost like there's this magic source that when you find it, you know, what is that thing that people are really passionate about that brings them together? And you can pretty much find it in, I find you can find it in pretty much every business. Um, But how, for those who are listening, who I guess are not in the really obvious community space, how, how can community come about for them? Yeah, no, that, that's a, it's a great way to think about it because I do think a lot of people think this, you know, they're like, this is really cool and interesting, but I, I just can't see it. Like, how do I make my washing detergent company? How do I build a community around that? Come on, I'd love to, but what do I do? I use a washing machine analogy. So go with yeah, the yeah, go. <laughs> um, But, you know, to, to take that, I'll take a hypothetical uh, detergent company just for one minute and then I'll answer your question more specifically. Um, if you've got, you know, uh, I, I've used this example with some of my students sometimes. Yeah, if you've got a detergent company and sort of their branding and their motto um, and their goal in the world is to, you know, is to save people time. You're part of there's an efficiency about this product. And they're like, we want to make this weightless, painful. Yes, it gets everything super clean, but it's really efficient and it's all about saving you time. They could turn around potentially. They don't have to go and create a product-centric community, right? They don't have to create a community of people to exchange washing detergent tips, although they could potentially, maybe, Maybe that would work. First thing, of course, as you as you know, is always to you know to to actively listen, right? To put your ear to the ground and to listen to what people are actually talking about. What they what do they want? What do they need? And you can do that through you know that's an, another example of where social media interlaces with this. You know, if you go and examine the zeitgeist, see what your who your known customers or or prospective desired customers. What are they talking about? What do they care about? And go and find the sweet spot between what they want and need and what's motivating them and what you do and what you know about you know so maybe if you're all about time saving and you have access access to a lot of experts you can go and create a really cool productivity community that happens to have your branding but it's actually not at all about washing detergent but it's just about household time saving you know time hacks um, and have a whole bunch of amazing experts come into there and offer AMAs and advice and have people share knowledge and do sorts of all fun activities and gatherings and make life easier for all those people for whom that is the priority and it's it's an extension of your brand values and your brand narrative but it's not about your detergent exactly so you can approach it really left of center like that you don't have to make it literally about the thing that you do that sweet spot approach is is my advice you know go and think about who you are in the world, what you make, what you do, what you bring to things, who are your existing customers, networks, communities, people you might want to talk to. And sometimes it's about working with existing communities as well. You know, building a community is incredibly rewarding, as we've talked about, but it is hard work and it takes a while. That's the other difference. You know, social media can deliver pretty quick results sometimes um, because it's so impactful and so viral, but community building takes time. The results compound and they're awesome, so that it's worth it, but, it, you know, it's not an easy win. It takes a little bit of time. So if you need quicker results or are interested in a different approach, maybe there are existing communities that are already established, you know, don't have to be professional ones or ones from another brand, just organic communities of humans on the internet that you can go and discover that have similar interests or want to do similar things, or maybe they've got something that they could offer your customers or vice versa. You know, go and think about reciprocal relationships go and think about value exchanges you know what do people know what are they good at what do they need and how can you gather them or facilitate that gathering or that exchange in a way that's going to deliver value for those people so make their lives better easier you know just help them in some way so doing that brokering that's really where in my view you start and you can like I said go and work with existing communities and sometimes that's a powerful way to to plug into community endorsement and achieve sort of start to see some of the the wins that investing in community can give you without having all that initial overhead of having to you know having to build a community and it helps you get good at it and understand it and then you might you might find the opportunity um, area for you to hone in on to build your own community around a very specific piece of that puzzle yeah fantastic it's um it's just such always for me such a fascinating process helping companies come up with what that looks like and what's actually going to be meaningful and nothing annoys me more than people that try fabricate community because oh, it never works. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's good. Um, I've heard that, I think uh, Karen Melissa Jones, another great community builder in the state, she calls them mirage communities. I think yeah. it's such a great, yeah. it's a great way to describe it, right? Um, yeah. you, uh, you know, I think the question to ask is, in my view, is probably something like, what, how will this be better or different if we bring people together versus on their own? Hmm. You know, so what, what, what new thing happens? whether it's an experience or an emotion or something that is created, a product, a thing in the world, what happens when we connect these people together versus letting them stay on their own as they are now? Mm. You know, that also will let you know if there's sort of a, a business case for community there. And sometimes sometimes there's not. I agree with you. I think most of the time there is a, a real opportunity there, but not always. It's got to be applied like everything. It's got to solve a problem. So it's got to, it's got to be applied to a real problem, a real challenge and help meet that opportunity. And have the right intent. And have the right intent, definitely. Yeah. If, you know, if you do approach it from more of that kind of extractive mindset, as, as some do, it, it's it's ultimately not, it's usually not going to work to begin with. And if you sort of get get some initial success, it generally doesn't sustain because, yeah, it's, it's, it's not intrinsic. It's not organic. Now, I have a question that's percolating in my head but not fully formed, so bear with me. <laughs> you mentioned earlier around gender and the number of women who naturally come to the role of community manager and it's a no-brainer you know women stereotypically women like connecting like talking like coming together around you know around the table um, one of the challenges that I sometimes bump up against and I would love your reflection on that is that often the decision makers in a business or a company or those that are trying to guide the strategy are not necessarily female. And because they are not participating in these amazing, thriving communities that generate out like really tangible outcomes in a lot of situations, they if they haven't experienced it, it's very hard for them to understand the value and the benefit of that and so I'm not even sure what my question is other than I know it's something that I bump up against a lot and I'm interested in your reflection on that I hate making things about gender but it it really plays out in this place because female communities are very very different on social media to oh, sorry or, well on social media I'm talking about mostly here and more of the public communities very, very different to some of the other more closed or curated communities that exist. Yeah, I, I think it's it's worth reflecting on, right? I think there's something there. There's, there's a whole bunch of questions and ideas there that are worthy of more inquiry is, is how I would respond to that. I think that... Um, uh, I mean, I think you're right, you know, there are, you know, as we know and research bears out, there are some, some issues in terms of gender representation or let's say diverse representation um, across companies and organisations up and down the hierarchies, CEOs, boardrooms, we know those issues exist. And you're right, ultimately a lot of those decisions about, yeah, that's the thing we should invest in or let's give that, you know, every chance to succeed are made by people that might not understand the value or might not even really be able to grasp the thing. As, as, well, you know, and that's completely separate to gender, really, because you're exactly. right, there's a lot of people yeah. who haven't experienced it. happens with race, it happens, it happens with everything, right? We get yeah, people... Male that, and female, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So that's that's definitely a problem. And I do see community builders come up against that. And I I think, you know, there was an interesting article that um, actually came off the back of our research a few years ago where, um, you know, we are talking with some journalists about this and... Uh, you know, there was this sort of question raised, very provocative question, interesting one, but, you know, is community building women's work? <laughs> Intentionally a provocative phrase, right? But this idea that, you know, they weren't saying that sincerely, but they were saying, is, is that how it's being perceived? And what are the problems with that? Or, you know, if that is indeed accurate. And I think there's something there. I think that, you know, I mentioned the warm and fuzzy language problem before. I think that just as social sciences, arts, humanities, all these sort of things have had a perception problem, um, which is ironic seeing they're really the most in-demand skills of the future, the things that can be more challenging to automate. Um, you know, they're seen as soft, they're seen as, seen as kind of easy, they're seen as, you know, less productive. The ways that we ascribe value and measure time and measure money and all these sort of things, they don't fit those boxes neatly. So they've been traditionally marginalised or dismissed. It's like, no, they're less value because this is the paradigm we're operating in and this is less valuable because of that. <coughs> and I think community building 
gets trapped in there a lot as well. I think, you know, there are certain communities, you, again, you and I both know where they're, you know, really, uh, they're very they're transactional, they're, they're, they're clear, clearly generating a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of opportunity, a whole bunch of ROI. And so it's, of course, easier to have those conversations about, hey, yeah, we need to invest more in this. It's a, it's a clear revenue generated for the company or it's saving us all this money or whatever the, whatever the ROI looks like. Um, but the communities where the value is more intangible, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist, it just, does, it just sort of means we haven't institutionally in our workplaces, we haven't got the common language about how to measure it yet. Um, that's the main thing, I think. Um, that's a big challenge, right? And I do think that we suffer from that. And I think that that holds, holds opportunities back. It holds individual community builders and leaders back. It holds the potential of communities or organisations back. When it's seen as a nice to have, it's a warm and fuzzy, it's sort of a PR exercise or it's, it's soft, it's easy. You know, it's, look, it's the same with social media, where, which had that reputation for years of, you know, let's give it to the intern. It's like... No, 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 no. Social media marketing, it's you are the doorstepping every, you know, your political doorsteps that you do with journalists, you know, a press conference. That's the door to the world, right? Um, your, your person on that channel, that person sitting there being that interface with the world is representing your company potentially to people all over this planet. Um, so, you you know, it's not, not that an can couldn't do that, but you better be picking the right person for that job and you better be taking it seriously you, you know and there are people that have expertise and you better be hiring them well and paying them properly and all the rest of it because it's it's real work it's not yeah futzing around on the internet and you know maybe generating some nice vanity metrics it's, it's it was never that you know so I think social media is also also suffered from a related perception problem in that way so I don't have an easy answer. I think you know continuing for community man managers and community builders um, build continuing to build our literacy around value. And yes, the traditional ROI value generation of um, you know kind of uh, neoliberalism and, and market economies. Yes, we do that because that value exists, and we need to have those conversations. But equally so, we need to be on the front lines of inventing the new language around value and working with other types of scientists and scholars and, and policy folk and clever people to figure out how to have a different conversation about value. Um, how do we value Indigenous wisdom? How do we value sense of belonging? How do we value these sort of things? Because they are really valuable and we feel it really acutely in the middle of a pandemic, right? So we've got to start valuing that stuff. And organisations, I do think, are starting to wake up to that. They're starting to, to be keen to discover and explore these things. Um, I actually started to work quite a lot in the last year with organisations who have shifted their workplaces online and, you know, start out wanting a sort of practical, you know, we need an online space where we can gather. So we basically need an online community to start to work and collaborate and do all these things and they'll go get some tools. But then, you know, people aren't really engaging or they still feel disconnected. They're self-reporting that they don't really feel like they belong. They don't feel safe. The culture still feels, feels weird or off and they don't know what's happening. Um, and it's because, you know, they're not thinking about, we need to actually now steward a digital culture. We need to think about that. So they're becoming community managers, these these leaders, these team leaders, these CEOs in a hybrid way. So they're actually having to draw on the community builders playbook for that work. So I think that more and more as we need as we learn to make those transitions, we're going to recognize those same leaders who maybe were a little skeptical or resistant to that are going to realize actually that is really important because when this doesn't happen, I don't get all these other outcomes that I need. So investing in culture is really important and I need to do it online too. And I need to think about belonging and social health. And wow, look at, look at this research, you know, when the social health looks like this, the organization's this much more resilient to change when, and gee, that's going to be a problem we have to get really good at, you know? So all those connections are starting to be made, but I do think we're just sort of at the beginning of that, of that adventure. Yeah, it's certainly a fascinating time to be involved in community. And I think the current global situation has fast-tracked a lot of those things that would have taken a lot longer to uh, be given, given priority. Now, I had a whole lot of strategic and tactical type questions for you, which I think I'm, what I'm going to do is invite you to come back another time for that oh, conversation. That because I've talked to you off. I have, haven't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I love our conversations. Uh, but I always like to finish up with um, what's your favourite community? Where do you love to hang out and be a part of? Um, in terms of online communities? Oh, that's such a good question. I had someone else ask me this recently and I was actually momentarily stumped. And um, 
I was talking to a fellow community builder and they said, oh, maybe it's a thing. Like maybe we community builders don't do it so much because it's our work and we don't hang out at communities as much. I think that's true to an extent. Uh, look, for me, it's, um, I am a nerd, self-professed nerd, as I said earlier. So I, you know, I love my genre entertainment. I like my sci-fi, I like my Marvel movies. I like all that sort of stuff. So I get a lot of pleasure and joy and escapism in those sort of communities. So whether they're, you know, there's actually some really good communities um, off the back of um, some some YouTube content creators that I'm involved in across a few different channels and platforms who I love and they make me, yeah, it's just they produce great content. We have fantastic conversations and celebrate what we all love together with those folk. So that's sort of escapist joy. Um, and I and the other one I would shout out to is um, a community cooperative that I'm involved in with a number of our fellow community builders overseas in different countries um, who sort of, I guess, a similarly aligned from a values point of view. We want to try to build better communities. We want to kind of, you know, improve the environment for everybody. We're all trying to sort of help uplift stuff and, and do better, basically. So I spend time with them regularly. They're both asynchronous and synchronously. We hang out and learn from each other and share stuff and do group writing exercises. And just, you know, it's as a little community of practice, I find it really rewarding. And those folk just inspire me no end on days where it's all a lot. <laughs> um, so those, those are the two sort of main little patches I hang out with at the moment. And of course, you know, I, my our own community with ACM, which, you know, kind of, you know, goes without saying, I, I adore them. And every time I'm hanging out with them, they're fantastic as well. I love that you met your husband in a in an X Files group. Yeah. I remember back as you were talking, I was thinking back to you know being 18, 19, and I think my first dating experiences then were in MSN chat rooms. <laughs> Absolutely. My husband, um, we we he proposed to me in the traditional sense, but we staged a proposal in an IRC chat room with our oh, friends. Um, it had like people from the X-Files involved in the chat. It was, it was amazing. I've still got the transcripts printed out because. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really good. It was, they were, they were great days. I uh, was reflecting with some folks recently. The, um, the, we made the news because that was really unusual back then. And so he was in America, he's a, a former American and I was in Australia. So the whole idea that people couldn't meet and fall in love across the interwebs was very foreign. <laughs> So we had this little story in the uh, in the uh, newspaper over in America, and we actually got on the news briefly. Oh, fantastic! Um, I'm using five minutes of fame, where they were like, you know, American, you know, area man meets you know Australian woman on the information superhighway. <laughs> it was great, um, and we went in the paper. I remember we were next to Tickle Me Elmo, which is yeah. just, that gives you a bit of an indication of how old it's all this. <laughs> but hey, it's not it's, it's not that long ago. A lot has changed very quickly. <laughs> I'm gonna stand for that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here today, Vanessa. I can highly recommend, and it's essential reading for anyone in community, if you haven't already, or those who are wanting to start community, the ACM annual survey is jam-packed full of um, amazing insights and definitely always worth reading. Um, and for those who are interested in connecting with other community people and learning more about um, building and growing community, uh, definitely the Swarm Conference, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. So we will put the links to both of those in the show notes so it's easy for people to find. Thanks, Kate. Really appreciate that. And we'll hope, hope to have some great conversations in the digital hallways with you there. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.